Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 23, Acts 23, and this is month number 12, and over the last 12 months we've covered much ground, and my view has remained that Acts is an historical book, and therefore when we read it, we need to apply it spiritually to those of us living today, otherwise we fall into all sorts of problems. Acts 23, let's start today's broadcast, every May in verse 1, and Paul Earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Yes, you did, Paul, to some extent, and yet, according to John chapter 16, you were an enemy of the Lord until you were saved. John the Baptist made it clear that he wasn't Elijah, and yet Jesus Christ told us he was Elijah. Sometimes people are in the will of God and don't know it, and other times people are not in the will of God. And don't know it. And here Paul has been summoned before the council. Verse 1. The Sanhedrin. The religious elite. The academics. The scholars. Men and brethren. I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. In his mind he thought that was the case. And yet like I say up until Acts chapter 9. He was very much on the wrong side of the Lord. And that is very typical of people today. Most people that are religious think they are on the right side of the Lord. And yet, according to my Bible, Matthew seven twenty one to 23, many people, not some, but many people, will say to Jesus Christ on that day, great white throne judgment, Lord, Lord, have you not prophesied in thy name, cast out devils in thy name, done this and that in thy name. And he will say to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Devastating. Two, and the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. This is organized religion at its worst state. It was bad enough that organized religion put the prophets to death back in the Old Testament. It's bad enough that they put their kings to shame and uh, on many occasions hindered their kings from being godly kings. It was even worse that they put the Son of God on a cross for six hours. But that hostility, that rebellion, that indifference has spilled over into Acts of the Apostles. And here, Paul has been struck on the mouth, physically attacked. Look at verse 3. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? Matthew chapter 5. Christ told us that if somebody was to strike you, you were to turn the other cheek. And when he was interrogated by the Sanhedrin, back in the Gospels, he didn't retaliate whatsoever. He took a beating. He took a whipping. He was spat upon. He was treated with contempt. And he took it because he's God. Because he is sinless. And yet here, the greatest man that ever lived post the Lord's return to heaven. John was the greatest man up until the Lord's arrival. But once Christ went back to heaven, as far as I'm concerned, Paul was the greatest man. And here, the greatest man that ever lived has retaliated with his tongue. Paul was infuriated that he would be physically assaulted. And it says here, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. God will kill you, you reprobate. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? Who do you think you are? You violated the scriptures. And this is an interesting scripture to read, not to mention somewhat fortuitous. Because only yesterday, during an outreach, a man came over to me from organized religion, and he was somewhat critical of my banner and my uh, 
approach to getting the gospel out. And without spending too much time recapping what occurred yesterday for the sake of the broadcast for today, and uh, seeing, as it, it, uh, seeing as it matches the scripture in hand, I will say this, that this chap very much pictures Ananias too, and the crowd in verse 1 wanted to, maybe not interrogate me, but wanted to reprimand me, wanted to correct me. And I thought to myself, if I wasn't standing here holding this banner up, you wouldn't have come over to me, and you wouldn't give me the time of day. If I was standing in a supermarket queue, waiting to get some shopping, or at a bus stop, or waiting for a train, I doubt very much that such a chap as yesterday would have come over to me, tapped me on the shoulder, and said, Brother, are you saved? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? No. Because I was on the street, doing what I was doing, and because my banner wasn't very appealing to him, he wanted to critique me, he wanted to correct me. And I said to him, do you warn all these people in this town that there's a judgment? Do you warn them about hell? And he said, no. He said, I like to preach Isaiah 61. And I said to this chap, that piece of scripture from Isaiah 61 was spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ or from the Lord Jesus Christ in a Jewish synagogue. From memory, I think it's Luke chapter 4. But the first words that Christ preached to the multitudes, the first words he preached when his ministry commenced, was repent. In fact, I slightly, I won't use the word teased, but I slightly uh, put it to him, shall I say, that he couldn't recall what the first word that Jesus preached was. And I said to him, I'll give you a clue. It starts with R. He had no idea. How about E? He had no idea. And I said to him, it's Matthew chapter 4. I'll help you a bit more. And he had no idea what I was talking about. Or maybe he did. But he's a good picture, this chap from yesterday, of somebody in organised religion, pompous, arrogant, full of himself. And the scripture speaks about such people as vipers, snakes. These are the words of Jesus Christ, not myself. Christ would call Herod a fox. He would tell you in Matthew chapter 7, don't cast your pearls before swine. He would say, if you're not saved, you're a pig. You're swine, you're an unclean animal. And sometimes Christians are very sensitive to people's feelings they want to tiptoe around upsetting folks now i was partly in the wrong yesterday and i will say that this morning i will put that uh on tape that i was slightly in the wrong with this individual i was very sharp with him but i'm like paul i have an old nature and here paul lashes out with his tongue as i did yesterday with this individual who's just punched him or attacked him uh hit him on the mouth and Paul is furious, as I was yesterday. Because Paul loved the Lord, I love the Lord. Paul wanted this crowd to be saved. I want people to be saved. And this chap from yesterday was more of a hindrance and a help. And I put it to him that he was doing the town that we were visiting yesterday a great disservice. Never mind quoting Isaiah 61 concerning the Messiah in a Jewish synagogue, speaking to the people of Israel. How about preaching the gospel? Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Look at verse 4, please, from Acts 23. And they that stood by said, Revilest thou, God's high priest? You speak against God's high priest like this? Who do you think you are, Paul? 5. Then said Paul, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Paul, to his credit, corrected himself. And I corrected myself after my outburst from yesterday when it came to the word of god when it came to the law paul knew it inside out 
pointing it back to front, like King David, who also had an old nature, I might add. I was not brethren, I didn't know brethren, that it was he, or that he was the high priest, God's ruler, for it is written, Old Testament, from Exodus 22, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. That's true. And Paul knew that he was partly in the wrong for his outburst, and yet maybe he wasn't in the wrong for his outburst. We are now in the New Testament. Paul's mind was very much focused back on the Old Testament, and yet Paul, to his credit, as always, goes the extra mile, and he tries to placate this crowd of individuals. Look at verse 6. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees, and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. This is a great scripture to show our charismatic friends that Paul was almost blind. In fact, this week I spoke to a charismatic outside a local train station, similar to yesterday's individual, but not as hostile, not as critical. And I said to this charismatic, you think, do you not, that everyone should be healed or that sicknesses are somehow foreign to the new covenant? And he said, well, yeah, pretty much, you know, Christ came to heal us, heal us, you know, of our stripes. But the healing of our stripes is really twofold. It's physical and spiritual. And ultimately we get our physical healing in the next life. It's like most of these healers who you see on television or you read about going around laying hands on people. And uh, some of these people need to wear glasses. And yet they have the gall to think that they can heal people. How about healing themselves of their short-sightedness or the long-sightedness? But this piece of scripture is very telling to me. But when Paul perceived that the one part was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, so on and so forth. He's partly blind here. He would tell us over in Galatians that he knew that had the Galatians wanted to help him, they would have done. I'm sure it's Galatians. I think it's Galatians chapter 3 that they were even offering to give him their eyes if it was something he could benefit from, meaning this, that he was partly blind. He would need at least two scribes to write his epistles. And yet you come across people who like to quote Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. And they think that what we're reading this morning is somehow relevant to people today. I wish it was. If it was relevant, then I would imagine such people wouldn't be in church pulpits or in revival tents. They'd be going around hospital wards laying hands on sick people. I'd imagine doctors would be out of business. Nurses would be out of business. Wouldn't that be great? No need for a National Health Service. No need to go and see your doctor, your GP, or your nurse, or what have you. Just go and find your local healer, or he'll find you, according to Mark 16, which is speaking about the apostles and their associates. And sometimes these people infuriate me because they preach more on healing than getting people saved. But Paul is partly blind, and he thinks to himself, there are Pharisees present. I'm a Pharisee. There are Sadducees uh, present, which I'm not a Sadducee. But maybe there's a chance I can win this crowd over. Seven. And when he had so said, there rose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. This is typical of organized religion. Division. That ban you got there is too negative. Take it down. Preach the love of God. But what is the love of God? Except you repent. You shall likewise perish. 
And here you've got jury, two wings, two groups, two sects, very much divided. They couldn't decide whether Paul was speaking the truth or not. And if the truth be known, they're probably following tradition more than the word of God. 8. For the Sadducees say that there was no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. So the Sadducees, a group which on many occasions tried to trip up the Lord Jesus Christ, hence why he was also very critical, very stern with such people. In fact, if you read the word of God carefully, you will find that he was scathing towards people and organized religion. And yet when he came across people, ordinary people, he was very sensitive. Even with the lady at the well, he was quite sensitive. And yet when he came across the priests of his day, the vicars of his day, the pastors of his day, for the most part, he would rip them to shreds. Yes, Joseph of Arimathea got saved, but even Nicodemus was rebuked by the Lord. John chapter 3. You're a teacher in Israel. You're this great scholar in Israel, and yet you don't know what I'm talking about. That is a rebuke. But of course we know that Nicodemus got saved, along with Joseph of Arimathea. But this division has occurred, and that division continues to this day. Eight, for the Sadducees say that there was no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. It's worth me reading that verse twice, because it shows even the Lord's day that there was a division inside of a jury. And we've got many divisions today inside of the body of Christ. But the good thing is, if we are saved, if we are washed in the blood, we have unity. In fact, there are seven of us around this table this morning from different countries, from different backgrounds. I guess we agree on most things, if not the major things, which is a great blessing. And what we don't agree on is probably so minor, it's not even worth speaking about. But this is a big subject, the resurrection of the dead, if Christ wasn't resurrected, 1 Corinthians 15, then we are still in our sins. We need our Saviour to be in heaven, interceding for us. If he's anywhere else, he's no good to us. 9. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were the Pharisees' part arose, and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel hath spoken to him, let us not fight against God. That's good advice. And for this period of time God was still speaking to the apostles and associates through supernatural means but we know from Jude chapter 1 how we are to contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints we stand on the word of God we are King James Bible believers and I made it clear to this chap from yesterday that the word of God is our final authority sometimes people want to preach religion and not a relationship well that's up to them but here a great cry has gone up from the scribes that are part of the Pharisees' sect, saying, We find no evil in this man. A bit like Pilate with Christ. This man is innocent. Even Judas would say Christ's blood was innocent. And yet he went out and hung himself. A picture there of a false repentant. A false repentance, I should say. There's two repentances in scripture. Uh, one which leads to salvation. One which leads to damnation. Judas hung himself based on a false repentance, whereas Peter confessed uh, his uh, iniquities and he was restored back into fellowship with the Lord. But if a spirit or an angel hath spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And yet it wasn't enough. Look at 10. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. 
this is somewhat unfortunate that you've got a captain, a gentile of the Roman army, no doubt, having to intervene to rescue Paul. And this kind of goes back to a message I preached recently on domestic violence. Bringing your affairs before unsaved people. If you're born again, the last thing you want to do is discuss church affairs with unsaved people. Especially sacred subjects like the rapture or here, the resurrection. But no doubt the Lord was behind this individual coming to the rescue of Paul. And yet Paul wants to share the following with them in verse 11. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem... So must I also bear witness at Rome. Be of good cheer, Paul. Don't be overly depressed, Paul. Don't be too hard on yourself, Paul. Sometimes saved people will suffer with depression. Be of good cheer, Paul. Keep your chin up, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. You're going to go far and wide, Paul. The Jews are going to continue to reject you like they did me and my prophets. And when 70 AD comes around, they're going to pay for it. And people say, should we love the Jews? Yes. People say, should we pray for Israel? Yes. People say, should we go the extra mile for the Jews? Yes. But at the same time, they were enemies of Paul, enemies of the Lord. And the truth be known, they're probably indifferent to those of us which are saved today. 12. When it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. This is a very sad piece of scripture. You've got a group of Jews, not Gentiles, coming together, taking a curse, swearing an oath, promising that they wouldn't eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And I guess it's fair to say that they probably starved to death. The Lord turned that curse, that oath, back on their own heads, like he would do with the Council of Trent at the Great White Throne Judgment. 13. And there were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. The word conspiracy appears many times in the scripture. And people say you are a conspiracist. You enter conspiracy theories. Well, the word conspiracy is a biblical word. And yes, there are some people who are into conspiracy theories. And just conspiracy theories. But here, this conspiracy starts in the Old Testament. And once again, it has reared its ugly head in Acts 23, verse 13. Also interesting, 13, the devil's number, the number of the occult, occultists like the number 13, Friday the 13th, 666, it all ties in. Conspiracy, more than 40, coming together to, if they can, assassinate the Apostle Paul. 14, and they came to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul, like the Muslims do all over the world. And now the chief priests are guilty by association, and they were also guilty by association from Matthew 28 concerning the Lord's resurrection. They would tell the Roman soldiers that, tell people that his apostles came by night, uh, by night and rescued him. And if words come to the governor's ears, we will... Make it clear that it wasn't your fault, you're blameless. A cover-up began, or at least they tried to initiate a cover-up. And this goes back to how much time should we spend witnessing to un unsaved people? How much time should we 
go over the same old ground with the same old people. My feeling has always been that five minutes with a particular person and if they are argumentative, if they are wanting to score points over you and cut your time short with them and move on to someone else because you could be witnessing to other people so, you know, instead of spending so much time with people who are time wasters. But 13 and 14 are devastating to jury. And such people, found in 13 and 14, going into 15, I'll read it shortly, are in hell today. And that's why we preach the gospel at this ministry. That's why we go onto the streets and preach the gospel. It's so much easier to sit at home and read your Bible and watch videos online and read articles and praise God and meet with like-minded people. That's so easy. But you try going to the streets and talking to men about God. That's a whole different ballgame. Many people don't want to know about God. Many people hate God. And I say hate God because I mean hate God. They hate God. Haters of God. Romans chapter 1. And if they could, they would kill you. In fact, I heard a while ago, it may have been a group of Jews saying that we killed Christ the first time, we'll kill him a second time. What is going on with people? People say, preach the love of God. Well, that happened 2,000 years ago and they crucified him. I think we need to toughen up as Bible believers, not to be antagonistic, but to be more bold, to preach more of the deep meanings of Scripture. 15. Now, therefore, you with the council, signified to the chief captain that he will bring him down unto you tomorrow, as though you would inquire something more perfectly concerning him. And we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him. That's the third time they mentioned killing Paul. Verse 1, killed Paul. So 12, killed Paul. 13, conspiracy. 14, slain Paul. 15, ready to kill him. I guess Paul was doing something right. 16, and when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. This is the only reference, to the best of my knowledge, of any of Paul's family appearing in scripture. Was he married? If he was, he doesn't tell us. Was he a widower? Perhaps, we're not told. He was a Pharisee. He just told us that from the previous few verses. And some people are divided on this. We're not told what Paul's marital state was, so I guess it's not important. But what is important here is how Paul's sister's son has been made aware of this conspiracy from verse 13. Their desire to kill him, 13, 14 and 15. And therefore, he wants to do what he can to rescue his uncle. And here he's gone into the castle and made it clear to Paul. Which shows me that Paul, although he was detained, had access to his nephew. Not quite under house arrest, but detained against his own will. And they would save his own protection. Perhaps 17. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he had a certain thing to tell him. I don't think Paul necessarily wanted to be with the Lord Jesus Christ all of the time. I've heard some people say that he wanted to go back to glory all of the time. If that were the case, why make this conspiracy known to the chief captain? Why not say, let this crowd kill me? Paul had a ministry. Paul had a purpose. Paul wasn't suicidal. And sometimes life is what you make it. Sometimes you've got to put more into life to get more out. Sometimes people want to sit around or they sit around and they feel sorry for themselves wanting to do this or that or 
received something from the Lord, and yet the Lord says, no, you stay put. I'll call you home when I'm good and ready. In the meantime, get busy. Make your life count. 18. So he took him and brought him unto the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner, call me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee who had something to say unto thee. And that will conclude this broadcast. And we'll pick it up next week from verse 19. But just a very brief recap from these verses which we've been able to look at this morning from 23.1 down to 18. You've got Paul having to give a defence of himself, which is all very well, and I'm not against that. And yet be careful not to allow people to tie you up. In fact, yesterday this chap said to me, where do you get authority from to rebuke me? And I said to him, the New Testament. And that same question was put to John the Baptist, John chapter 1. And five chapters later, John the Baptist doesn't respond to the question from the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, he turns to his disciples and tells them. In fact, it's John chapter 3 where he got his authority from. Completely snubs that kind of a question. And that was also put to Lord Jesus Christ. Where do you get your authority from? And he wouldn't answer them whatsoever. That's an antichrist spirit. Paul has been detained. He's been assaulted. He has responded verbally. And they pulled the scripture on him. They said, Paul, you're in error. He says, fine, he accepts the wrong, he confesses it. But that group remain in darkness. The Sadducees and the Pharisees are very much in the context here. This poor man, Paul, may be around 50 from Acts 23. He's partly blind. He's suffering poor health. No one can heal him. No one can help him. In fact, three times he'd asked the Lord to heal him. And the Lord said, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. And you would have thought that the Pharisees would have got saved as a result of Paul's preaching, but that wasn't the case. He's about to be torn to pieces, which is what people in religion do, to those of us which are outside of religion. This captain comes on the scene to rescue Paul, and 11, the Lord speaks to Paul and says, Hang in there, Paul. All will come good. You're going to go to Rome, the centre of the earth. And the Jews are going to remain under a judgment, under a curse, under my chastisements. They're still loved, of course, but they said, let his blood be on our children and on ourselves. And the Lord said, that's my son's blood. They think it's uh, cheap blood. They treat it with contempt. They're going to wander. They're going to suffer for centuries. It leads up to verse 18. The chief captain has been made aware that this group of religious zealots want to kill Paul. And this chief captain will rescue Paul. And that, of course, is down to the Lord's providence. So we will close there and pick it up next week in Acts 23, verse 19.